The following sermon is part of a series going through the book of Philippians, and it was preached at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. For more sermons, please visit our sermon audio page. It is our hope and prayer that this content is edifying for you. We turn in God's word this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read verses 35 through 58. 35 through 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. After that, we turn to the book of Philippians where we can continue our series in that epistle. But first we read 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 35, regarding the resurrection of the body. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the heavenly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now we turn to the book of Philippians. In chapter 3, we read the last two verses of Philippians 3, which make up the text of tonight's sermon. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In the text that we have before us this evening, the word conversation, in verse 20, the word conversation is literally citizenship, for our citizenship is in heaven. So beloved, I ask you this evening, where is your citizenship? In heaven or on earth, in America, or in glory? We know the answer to that question as our text tells us. We say it along with Hebrews 11 verse 16, but we now desire a better country that is in heavenly. Our home is not here below, but we are pilgrims and strangers looking for our home in glory, our citizenship is there. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so, the calling to you tonight is that you walk as such citizens. 
that you live your lives as those who have your citizenship in heaven. That is in the context which Paul, in which Paul writes in Philippians 3. We relate it to what we considered last week. Last week, Paul, remember, urgently warned the Philippians of antinomianism. He warned them of antinomianism, which we considered as worldliness in one word. Worldliness. These antinomians of Paul's day, he called the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. He says as the last phrase of that verse in verse 19, who mind earthly things. These antinomians claimed, they claimed to have Christ and the cross as theirs, and therefore they claimed also to have heaven as their home, but they lived in worldliness. Their behavior didn't match with their confession. They lived as citizens of the world rather than citizens of heaven. And they even dared to boast about it since we claim the cross. We may sin, we may live like the world, for grace will abound. In that context, Paul warns the Philippian church, and he warns us tonight also, do not follow the worldly antinomians. May it be not merely your confession that you are citizens of heaven, but it may, be, may it be your life also that shows that you are citizens of heaven and not of this world. The citizens of this world, Paul warns, have their end, beginning of verse 19, as destruction. But in our text, the citizens of heaven have heaven as their end. Heaven which is described this way, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In order to help, in order to help the church of Philippi and the church of today against the worldliness of the antinomians, Paul focuses their attention and our attention on the wondrous salvation that the risen Lord gives to us. The salvation that he promises to give to us especially as to our bodies, our bodies. He will change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Knowing that this Savior will change this body, will save this body, our body, we as citizens of heaven, then 
do not do whatever we want with our bodies, with our bellies, but we are stewards of this body which he promises to save, which he values, which he will redeem, knowing what he will do in saving our bodies. We'll take care of these bodies that they may not be dedicated to the pleasures of this world, but that rather they may be dedicated to the risen Savior seeking for that world to come. Consider, fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven, this text with me under the theme, fashioned like unto his glorious body. First, the transformation that God promises here in this text. Secondly, the certainty of that great salvation, the certainty of it. And then finally, our yearning, the yearning that the citizens of heaven have for this salvation. There are two simple truths that this text explains to us or reveals to us regarding the salvation, which is transformation of our bodies when Jesus returns. The first truth is that the body that he will change or transform is the same body that we have right now. The same body. And secondly, this body shall be changed or glorified. Two simple truths that we remind ourselves of this evening. First, it is this body the same body that we have now that Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, will raise on that last day. Think with me, beloved, upon what Christ did to his own body when he raised it from the dead. It was the same body that he raised. Think of that body, children, again. Think of that body which hung on the cross. And that Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, took from off that cross and placed in the tomb, the brand new tomb of Joseph, in that shallow cave in the face of a rock. And on that third day when Jesus raised his body, it was the same body that died on the cross. It was the same body that Joseph had wrapped up in those grave clothes. It was the same body that was in the tomb. The same body came back to life. And when that same body came back to life, that same body did not come back to life in its weakened state or condition. But he was raised to life with a glorified body. So also, so also our body Verse 21, who shall change, notice the pronoun, our vile body. That pronoun is important. He would change our body, this body, the body with all of its flaws right now, 
our body that as we look at in the mirror too often in our lives, we are discontent with this body which He has fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb. This body with its handicaps that we were born with. This body with the handicaps that we may have received on this earth. Because of God's providence, this body He will raise. Not a clone, not a body of some athlete or some Hollywood star that we might covet, not a body of an animal or an angel reincarnated, but this body. Because this is part of your identity. You are this body, not just a soul, but this body. He's chosen to save you, this soul, and this body. This body is the body which God chose also, not just your soul, but He chose from the foundation of the world. Created this body in His wisdom. Sent Jesus Christ to save, to die for this body. This body which He has cared for up to this point in your life. This body. And thus an implication is, beloved, you who are beloved, soul and body, you're called to be a steward of this body that God values. This body is not just a shell, as some in Reformed circles have spoken of it as. You're not to take this body and destroy it with drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or in any other way. You're not to cut this body. You're not to neglect this body. You're not to self-deprecate, whether emotionally or physically. You are not to hate this body. You are not to take this body and give it over to someone who is not your spouse in fornication. But you are to take this body which is not really your body in the first place, but that which belongs to God, precious to Him. And you are to care for this body which is His. Redeemed by your God and Savior. Because it is this body He promises in this text that He values so much that He will raise. The text describes this body as a vile body, literally a body of humiliation. Yes, it is a humble body. It is a body that is lowly of weakness, and that is why we're tempted to hate it and even hurt it at times. It is a humble body, first of all, because it is animated by our sinful natures. Romans speaks. Romans 7 verse 24 speaks of this body animated by a sinful nature. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
because Paul felt within his body sinful nature that pervaded even his body, his feelings, his thoughts, his brain, his actions, his hormones, and everything about his body. Sinful desires went through his body. Carnal, fleshly desires plagued him within his body. A body of his humiliation. And that's why he felt the shame of his body. And that's why we sometimes feel the shame of our bodies as we look upon our bodies and we see our bodies as instruments of sin. That's why Adam and Eve covered their bodies. And that's why we feel the shame of our bodies as well. Of themselves, and take your arm, take your foot, or take any part of your body of themselves. Of themselves, they are not sinful of themselves, these body parts. But because our sinful nature pervades our body. This body is a body of humiliation. And secondly, not only because our sinful nature pervades this body, but it suffers, this body suffers the consequences of sin. That's why it's a body of humiliation. It has handicaps, it has flaws. And the strongest of us will face it more and more, for this life is indeed nothing but a continual death. The strength of your brain will decrease. The strength of your body will decrease. As time goes on, through injuries and sicknesses, cancer and aging, death will come. And the body will return to the dust. Dust to dust. This is a body of humiliation because it suffers from the consequences of sin. But this body shall be changed. That's the gospel. Literally, this body shall be transformed. He shall change our vile body, not the substance or the material change, not from humanity to deity, but he will change this body in its form. There will be a transformation. And the description, a glorious description, is that we will be changed, that we might be like unto his, like unto Christ Jesus, most glorious risen body. What a beautiful description. Think upon it. Think historically about, about it. In the darkness of that tomb, remember, when that stone was still over the face of that cave, the soul of that body which Jesus had commended into his Father's hands returned into that body, and he rose from the dead. And that body, that body in its glorified form was able to pass through those grave clothes it was probably able to pass through even the rock, the solid rock of that cave and enter into the locked rooms where the disciples were. The glorified body 
was able to fly later on, ascend, that is, to heaven, not only up into the skies, but to a different dimension of heaven. His same body was made glorious. So also, so also, we shall be changed. He shall change our vile body, the body of this humiliation, the body of corruption, the body of mortality, into a body of incorruption, a body of immortality, a body of glory. If we have died before he returns, when that risen Lord comes back, he will gather all the particles of dust which made up our body. Yes. Even if it even if those particles have been scattered across the earth, even if those particles have, been, have gone through lions which devoured our flesh at persecution, even if thou, those particles have gone, had gone through the fires of persecution, he will gather all the parts of our bodies and renew those bodies to be made like unto his glorious body. And if we are alive when he returns, he will do the same. Take this body to make it like unto his glorious body. Meditate on that, beloved, on this Resurrection Sunday. A body without sin. The old man eradicated fully from our system. Body that will shine like the sun. Remember that body of Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, which shone like the sun. Matthew 13, 43, as Jesus promised, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. With no shame, some of us fear. And we're prone to fear standing before the judgment seat of God, where all of our sins will be laid bare publicly before his face in all the world. And we fear shame that may come upon us, but no more shame. No more shame as to our souls and also to our bodies, for they will already be renewed. Immortal, never again able to die. As Revelation 21 says, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. For the former things are passed away and all things are made new. Think, think upon how there will be no more mental fog. No more weakness and fatigue. No more wheelchairs and walkers and limps and lupus, and cancer, and side effects, and miserable physical therapy. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
We will have the beauty of holiness. And of course, in all of our descriptions and even some of our speculations, we can't even describe the glory fully. 1 John 3, verse 2, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For the half is not told us. So, beloved, while we do take care of our bodies, knowing that this same body will be raised, we also ought not make too much of our bodies, for these bodies will die and weaken. Let us not make idols of our bodies. Let us be willing to give up our bodies, confessing Christ in that day of persecution. For we shall be changed. What's the purpose of that? Why such a transformation? Why a glorious body? Not merely, beloved, not merely so that we might have and be equipped with glory of ourselves and to our bodies and enjoy these things. But especially, this is the purpose, that we might be equipped to fellowship before God and His Son face to face. This is heaven. The text here describes heaven and our citizenship, which is in heaven. Heaven is, heaven is not... Is not Literally enjoying pearly gates and golden streets. Those are pictures which give us an idea of the glories of heaven. But heaven is, is better than that. And heaven is described this way especially. Heaven is life with God. To live apart from God is death. But this is life eternal. Sweet communion with God. That we might know Him. That we might know Him even as we are known. That we might see Him face to face. And that's what the child of God, the citizen of heaven desires most. That we might be with Him in the fullness of fellowship. And the consummation of that intimacy of covenant with God. And yes, we experience that. Already by faith, now to a degree. But not fully. We still feel so often in our lives so far apart from Him because of our sins, because of the weakness of our bodies, the body of this humiliation, as we call it. We feel our minds being distracted. Even in the times when we are trying to pray, we're trying to worship God, we're trying to read His Word, and we know we ought to sense a closeness with God and fellowship with Him, but we feel so weak of ourselves, so far sometimes. Yes, it's due to our sin and the weakness of our faith. 
We need to be renewed. We sense it. We need to be renewed not only as to our souls. We need to be renewed fully as to our bodies. So that with our souls and bodies, we may be with him. We may enjoy his presence and experience fully. His fellowship. And we will, we will be changed. That's the promise. We will be changed to experience this perfect, sweet communion one day. As for me, we confess with the psalmist, I will behold thy face in righteousness, Psalm 17. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness to see him face to face. That's salvation. That's heaven. That's glory. A tabernacle of God with men. God himself shall be their God and dwell with them. If you went to heaven and your soul and body and God was not there so that you could not see him face to face, you would not want to be there. Because this is eternal life. It's about being with God. With both your soul. And your body. Thus. Thus he promises. He will change our vile body. That it may be fashioned like unto his most glorious body. Regarding this heaven. Regarding this glorification of our bodies in order to see God face to face and experience that consummation, Paul expresses a certainty. He does so with the first verse, what that word is for our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, is certain, and the original, the original verb brings it out even more. It's not literally the verb to be, but it's a verb that can be translated this way, is contained or is possessed. So we can read it this way. For our, our citizenship is possessed in heaven. The same thought, the same idea is given to us in Peter, 1 Peter 1 verse 4, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our citizenship is reserved. It's possessed already in heaven. What a glorious truth. What a confidence we may have that Paul gives to the church in Philippi and to us who believe this expression of certainty is especially necessary in the context. Remember, remember that Paul 
has been warning the Philippian church about the antinomian worldliness of the day and calling them not to follow the antinomian worldliness. And you heard that last week. And there's one thing, there's something that the child of God sometimes struggles with when he hears such warnings. And that's doubt. For we all in our fallen human souls and bodies feel the attraction to worldliness. We ask the question sometimes that we not, ought not. Am I of this world? Am I like these antinomians whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly? For I feel that nature that is just like them. And so after warning, after warning the Philippian church very sharply as he ought to regarding this worldliness, he brings back the confidence that ought to be in the heart of the believer, the confidence to the Philippian believers and to us. That though we feel, yes, a proneness unto this worldliness, this is what we have. Our citizenship is possessed in heaven. Their destruction, yes, is sure. But our citizenship in heaven is also sure. That's the confidence we have. Doubt comes not only regarding the antinomian tendencies, or because of antinomian tendencies, but doubt also comes sometimes because of a human skepticism, an intellectual skepticism. And that's promoted by the world today. We sometimes ask, can it really be how is it even possible that our bodies, especially our bodies when it has turned back to dust, be raised? We can't, we can't fathom that. It's too great of a miracle sometimes for our human minds to think of. And in unbelief and doubt, we ask what Paul brought up in 1 Corinthians 15.35 that we read. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? That's a challenge of the skeptical world and sometimes our sinful nature. And Paul says, that's foolish talk, thou fool. But here in our text, he gives the certainty of it. Two statements. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's certain according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things into himself. Here's the certainty. It comes back to Jesus, two aspects of his identity. First, his identity as our complete Savior. That's why we can be so certain. He is our complete Savior. What makes our citizenship in heaven so sure, so possessed, as this text says? What makes us so sure that we, with our vile body, will be changed and fashioned like into his glorious body? Because the, of the identity of our Savior. The text emphasizes the word Savior. It repeats that word. Notice, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And children, you ask, where is the other word Savior? You should know. 
because you know the meaning of the word Jesus. His name means Jehovah, Savior. The repetition is there for emphasis. The Savior, Jehovah, Savior. That's why. Savior, Savior. The complete Savior is Paul's emphasis. And that means he accomplishes every aspect of salvation, beloved. You who believe in this Savior, the Savior doesn't gain for us just one part of salvation and then leaves the rest for us to accomplish on our own. Not even for a little bit, for then, for then, for then, we would not be saved. But He saves us completely. He saves us not only by suffering for all of our sins and all of our hells, so that he said it is finished in that sense. But he's our Savior in that he obeyed. He obeyed all the commandments, all the commandments, even lived a perfectly unworldly life for us. It is finished, meant that. A Savior who has completely earned our salvation, both with His suffering and His obedience. Complete Savior means that He not only earned for us this salvation, but He works within us all of this salvation. Regeneration, calling, faith, justification, sanctification, preservation, glorification, all of it completely. He is such com so complete a Savior. He doesn't just earn it and then say, I make it available for you to take of yourselves. But He gives it all of salvation. He's so complete a Savior. He didn't just die. But he rose, he rose to apply every benefit of salvation to our weak human hearts. He's a complete Savior that doesn't just save us from guilt, but he also saves us from power. He's a complete Savior that doesn't just stress his salvation of justification, but also stresses his salvation of sanctification. He's a salvation from hell, and he's a salvation unto heaven. He's a salvation of soul and that's especially the emphasis tonight. And he's a salvation of body. That's how complete a savior he is. When he came to this earth, he came with a great love for all of his elect people, soul and body. That's why he didn't just come with a human soul to take on some body, some clone, some angelic being that looked like a man, but he took on our actual flesh, a real, complete human body and soul, in order that he might, with not just a soul, but with a body, suffer all his life and on the cross and with a body also obey without any of the sinful nature to pervade his body so he obeyed perfectly 
to cover, to atone for us, soul and body, that he might redeem us soul and body and if he has done that on the cross i guarantee unto you this night beloved you who believe in this jesus christ a complete savior that he will raise you also soul and body that is the gospel our certainty is founded upon this complete savior and our certainty is founded upon a second identity not only is he a complete Savior, but he is God, Almighty God. The name Jesus, remember children, does not only mean Savior, but Jehovah Savior. Jehovah Savior. He is the I am that I am. He is God Almighty. And then an explanation of his power, we find that last phrase of verse 21. According to the working whereby he is able or he has power, dynamite power, the original has that idea in it, dunamos, an ability, a power even to subdue all things unto himself. That's the power he has because he is Jehovah God, the Lord. Can he raise you, soul, and body? Indeed, of course he can. He has the power of God able to subdue all things into himself. And there's so much proof of that. Who is this risen Lord? Remember, he is the God who was there at the beginning, the Word that John 1 speaks of, who spoke, and by the word of his mouth created all things, and created man out of the dust of the ground. Maybe his power to create man out of the dust of the ground, then I say unto you this night, as God he has the power to raise your body from the same dust of the ground. If he has power as God Almighty to walk upon this earth and speak, peace be still, to calm the storms, to subdue the waves of the sea, to call from the grave Lazarus, come forth, so that he came forth. And he is God Almighty, has power. Almighty power to accomplish the salvation that he has earned for you. If he has raised his own body from the tomb and made his own body to be glorious, then I say he has power to do the same for you. When I think that which is to your experience especially, if he has this power to subdue your heart your heart in mine so rebellious 
of ourselves. We can feel it within. So dead of ourselves in sin. So weak. And he has taken that heart which cannot of ourselves make one inclination toward him but will always oppose him of ourselves if he has power to take this dead rebellious heart and change it and subdue it and bring it to repentance and give unto it faith then I say unto you he has power to subdue your body in the end as well and bring you unto the fullness of salvation before his face you've experienced it already the Lord's Day 22 puts it this way, Since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, resurrection already within, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which I hath not seen, nor hath ear heard, nor hath it even entered into the mind of heart of man to conceive. The certainty of this great salvation rests founded upon the identity of Jesus, our complete Savior, and of Jesus, who is Almighty God. And so we confess with the saints of old, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth, and though, and though, after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I know that I shall not be left forgotten in the grave, and from corruption, thou, O Lord, Thy Holy One wilt save. I'm confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in me shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the confidence that we may have as believers in this Jesus. Not only a confidence, but a yearning, a desire, that's what hope is. Hope is not just your name, beloved. Hope is that gift of God to you, which is a certainty that he places in your heart by faith and a desire, a longing, a yearning for his return. Do you sense that? as you hear that gospel. The word of our text that speaks of that yearning is looking from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look. We wait expectantly. And that's the full idea of that word. We wait, and that has the idea of patience. Sometimes we feel like we wait for too much, too long. 
We don't want to wait anymore. But yes, hope includes a patience, a waiting. But expectantly, we take not our eyes off, off of heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ coming. Not back to the things of this world, beloved. But with eyes of faith looking, longing, even if our physical eyes must be focused upon our work here below. Always longing, yearning for that risen and ascended Savior to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We yearn and we say, Romans 8, 23, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. Young people, young adults, you who feel strong in yourselves right now, yes, sometimes we don't feel the sighing and the groaning. But I say more and more, more and more, as the Lord Jesus Christ works in your life and sovereignly governs you, He will make you feel very weak and that for your good. So that you sigh after a long day's work. So that you groan as you must labor under the weakness and handicaps of your body. So you sigh and grieve with sighs more and more because you see how sinful you still are. And in that way, the Lord Jesus Christ cultivates true sighs which long Yea, even yearn for his glorious courts above. You say with Job, all the days of my appointed time, therefore will I wait till my change come. Looking, looking for that Savior. And with that word of God, which establishes confidence and yearning in the hearts of his people, there is a banishment, a putting out of worldliness. Not fully, not perfectly, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven are looking with that hope, confidently and yearning, we will set our affections on things above where Christ sitteth. That more and more and that confidence and that yearning will not only be in our hearts, it will shape our life, our behavior. I don't want that worldliness anymore. How frivolous and vain is that drunkenness? 
Why do I want to watch that on television? Why do I want to make his idols to myself and to my belly and to this body the things of this earth? The glitter and the glimmer of this world fades. I want to go home and I will live with the confidence that my Savior has a purpose for me yet here below. But I will live always looking for Him to take me home. Looking for that blessed hope, Titus 2 puts it. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Beloved, may Resurrection Sunday not only increase within you the certainty of your glorification, the fullness of your salvation where you will see Him face to face with your soul and body, but may it also increase within you the yearning of hope. And a life of heavenly mindedness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thou hast in thy grace declared to us our citizenship, which is in heaven, earned by Jesus Christ, made sure by him. May thy spirit work so that we understand, we remember the truth of his resurrection and our own. May thy spirit work faith so that we might have a certainty that rests in Jesus Christ. May thy spirit work that we might have a yearning and a life which results consistent with this heavenly citizenship. Oh God, send him quickly. One thing, one thing, have we desired and that do we seek after. That we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. That we may behold thee, thy beauty, and inquire in thy temple face to face. Then, truly then, we shall be satisfied. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.